We're going to come around the Word here this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a bit of uh, Luke 15. We're in a uh, series called The Journey Home, and in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of the sheep, where a hundred sheep uh, are there, but one is lost, and the shepherd goes out to recover the lost, and there's a great celebration. We hear the parable of the lost coin, where the woman has 10 coins, and she loses a coin, and the, the story is about her searching the house and sweeping the house until she finds the lost coin. And the third parable out of Luke 15 is the parable, uh, it's got a few different names. Uh, you'll often hear the parable of the lost son, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. But here this morning, I want to call it the parable of the lost sons. Because I believe in this story, it's not just all about the younger son. There's actually a lot in this story about the older son too. And we're going to uh, unpackage this here this morning uh, because a lot of us would have heard this story. We'll go through it here this morning, but it's about this, you know, the start of it is about the young son and he decides to, uh, to uh, exit the family home and he goes off on a bit of a wild journey and then we hear about uh, him coming back. But it's just not all about that because there's another thing happening in the story and that is what's happening in the heart of the older son in both of them. Uh, it's all about really their heart state. And a heart state is so important, so important. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a really big statement that, you know, our heart can determine whether or not we see God or not. That's a, that's a really big call. We know that in Proverbs it talks about um, above all else, guard your heart, above all else, that's, that's a big call. Solomon's saying, above all else, guard your heart. And I just think, wow, because everything in life flows from it. Some of the scriptures say, you know, it's the wellspring of life. There's, there's a lot in that when you hear Solomon, you know, wisest man to walk the planet apart from Jesus, really saying, hey, this is really important that above all else, you need to guard your heart. It's a really important thing. He's not kind of saying... Uh, you know, it's kind of important, uh, maybe get around to it or at times give it. He's like, no, above all else, guard your heart. And he talks about your heart. You know, I'm a pastor and I had the great privilege of uh, journeying in life with other people. But can I tell you, there's one thing I can't do and that is I can't guard your heart. I can't do it. I can guard my own heart, but I can't guard even my wife's heart. I can't guard the heart of my You've got to guard your own heart, and it's up to us on the condition of our heart. But it's really, really important to, to do it and do it well because it's the heart and it's the source of everything. And if, if, if uh, the well-being of life or, or the, the spring of life flows from it, it's, you know, everything downstream from the, the, the fountain of a spring, if it's poisoned or the water's cut off, everything downstream it dies. So it's really important to make sure at the fountainhead or at the top of it that things are cared for. And that's what our heart is in our life. We've got to make sure because the condition of our heart today affects your future. It affects your tomorrow. So it's really key and critical that we make sure that our heart is in a good place. And I think this parable of the lost sons is really uh, a great parable for us to look at two sons who get their hearts in certain positions. One makes a bit of a recovery and one we never find out if he recovers from it or not. 
And we know in Proverbs 21 too, every way a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. It's all about the heart. Proverbs says, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reveals the man. So our heart's important and we're coming up to Christmas and there's a lot of great things that are going to happen at Christmas. A lot of you will get breaks that we really need at this time of year. You'll get celebration points and party and you'll get to go on some, some trips and holidays and all of this is really good. But I want to encourage us here just this morning to just kind of do a little bit of an internal audit of that heart. Because you can go and have a great holiday, but if your heart hasn't changed over the course of the holiday, you come back to exactly the same state and the same situation, the same circumstances, really, that you were in before the break. And it's in the house of God and it's before God. That's our best place, not the holiday to get the heart right. So we're ready to do a little bit of work on the heart here today through this beautiful parable that, uh, that Jesus says. Now, before we get into this parable, we need to go to the start of the chapter because we need to find out who Jesus is speaking to because it's important to what we're about to read. So right at the start of Luke 15, we read this, Luke 15 verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They're coming near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he goes on to say three in a row. So who, who have we got here? We've got the tax collectors and sinners, and they're actually drawing to Jesus. But then we've got those that are upholding the religious uh, laws of the time and, and seemingly doing all the right things, and they're the ones in prayer, and they're the ones saying we worship, yet they're the ones who have kind of got a bit of an issue straight away in their heart, and Jesus I believe, goes and says this parable, probably, possibly more for them than those sinners that were around them. He really did, you know, has some things in this parable, you know, for all and for all people, including those Pharisees and those scribes. So if we turn to Luke 15, verse 11, this is where it starts. Are we good? It says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So straight away we see the youngest son having his heart not in a good place and pretty much telling his father, hey, I want out. I'm, I'm exiting. I, I'm making my way out of the family. Give me what's mine. Now, he was the youngest son, so he wouldn't have a, an equal split with the older son. The older son would have du double the inheritance. So it's like he's getting a third of the inheritance. And he comes up to his father and he says, give it. I want it now. He's really just saying, yeah, I'm kind of disowning the family. I'm going to go out on my own. And I reckon those listening to this parable from the mouths of Jesus would be ready for possibly hearing something like this. So the father said no, but disowned the son. That's what they were probably thinking was going to come. But it doesn't come like that. Because this was a really big deal. All their identity as a family was probably locked up in their wealth and their, and their property and their land. And to have the son come then before the father died and ask, it's like they're selling off land. They're, they're going to be looking not great in the community. But the story doesn't go like that. He says that he divided his property between them. Verse 13, now not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. 
and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This young son finds himself. He thought that that would bring all that he wanted in his heart to to go out and, and go a bit wild and go and party, but it wasn't very long that he found himself very abandoned and very alone. And so many people are out there and they find themselves abandoned and alone. They think the things of the world will fulfill that inner calling, but quite quickly they find themselves, they're abandoned. And those people they were out partying with, when times get tough, frequently they find themselves out there on their own and they don't feel loved and they don't feel cared for. And this is what happens in this story. He's abandoned. But in verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, And this is where the start of his heart starts to turn around. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This better life didn't work out, but all of a sudden he gets himself where internally he starts to say, you know, I'm going to go back and and I'm going to say sorry. It's one of the greatest things we can do in life. We find ourselves exiting out of, away from God or maybe away from someone and we realize that we're wrong, there is so much power in the sorry. There is so much power in admitting that you've made an error and that you've made a mistake. And that's what we see the younger son here. He's, oh, I'm going to say this. He starts rehearsing these words. He starts rehearsing this speech and, and he humbles himself. He takes the responsibility. He starts owning up. He's learned to lesson. He's learned it the hard way. But he decides he's going to go back. He's going to go back to the home. He's going to go back and he realizes that he can just go back even if he's like one of the hired servants. The hired servants would be from the local villages. They would come and do some work and they'd get paid a wage. And then they'd go back. And he's probably thinking, I've, I've taken everything, I've lost it all, but maybe I can start working my way back. Maybe I can start earning some income and, and start to maybe repay my father for, for what I took from him, what I took from the family. And he rehearses this word. And verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. And of course, the father here is representing our father in heaven. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Distinguished Middle Eastern men wouldn't normally run. But we read in the scriptures that he ran to meet his son. Don't you just love who God is? That this represents God? That there he was and he had to just run to meet his son, the son that was lost is coming home. The son that was far from him is coming back. And, and, and I love this part of God. I love that he is there embracing. It is a good thing. Imagine what that young boy would have felt seeing the father run to him. I can remember when I was a, a teenager. I must have been, it was before I had a car. I was probably 16. 
and I can remember going down to the movies with some friends. Now, at 16, I was, uh, you know, I kind of felt like I was doing okay. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't go to bad parties, but one night I go to the movies with my friend. My mum was, for some reason, really quite protective of little Hartley Taylor, and I remember her giving me a curfew this night, and I don't know, it was probably... It was probably pretty early in the night. It might have been like 10 o'clock or something like that. And I can remember uh, after the movie, uh, my friends, we just hung out for a while and we got a bus back from down at the moor on the northern beaches to where I lived. And I remember time was just ticking away and I knew that I was going to get home a lot later than the curfew. But in myself, I'm like, I haven't done anything that bad. I've just been out at the movies with my friends. I haven't done anything wrong. But I knew by the time I got home, I was quite beyond the curfew. I thought, this will be okay, she'll be asleep, and I'll sneak in the front door. So I can remember walking down the front porch, making zero noise. I was in stealth mode. And I remember getting to our front door, and our front door had a gauze door and then the main door, and the gauze door creaked. So I thought, my only way around this is to precisely take as long as it needs to take for me to open that door with no noise. So I can remember slowly, slowly opening that gauze door, really slowly until I got it fully open. Then it was time for the main door. I had to put the key in and again try and do it as quietly as I could. And I remember doing it very carefully, very uh, at a great pace of slowness. And I remember making my way. And once I got in that door, I had to then go and get the gauze door and slowly get that there. And I remember slowly, and this whole process must have taken like three or four minutes, had to have taken. And I remember when I closed the front door, I hear this, where have you been? It was my mother in the deepest voice I'd ever heard her in. I was sprung. I, was, I got home late, I admit it, but I was sprung. I'm so grateful that when we come back to God, when we know we've been away and we have a heart turn around, he's not there pointing the finger, he's not there saying, but, 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 do you realize, do you realize, this is God in heaven. When we come back with a heart in a good place, he is running to meet him. He is running to meet me in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He starts getting that speech out. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but... The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Oh, don't we love God? The best robe. Do you know who probably owned the best robe in the house? It was probably the father's own robe. That he would embrace this son who would have come back. He'd been hanging out with the pigs. He probably stunk. His clothes would have been filthy. But there he was being embraced by a loving father. And he gets the best robe. He gets the best robe. He's covering the shame. He's covering the poverty. He's looking after him. And all of a sudden, the the son finds the robe come on. He would have had the, the ring, the emblem of wealth and position and honor put on his finger. He would have gone from... Uh, someone with no shoes, just like a servant may have been, to a son with shoes. It would have shown the, the father's kindness and affection. And then we read that it says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He is, was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. What a beautiful thing. 
that God would accept us back like this and for all of us that have returned to Him in our life. This is what it's like. It's just the greatest story. It's just the most delightful story. It's the most beautiful story of who God really is. And this meat would have been like, this is special occasion meat in Middle Eastern times. And the fattened calf, that was the, that was the best of the best. That's like getting the, you know, the thick uh, eye fillet steak put on mixed barbie when you go over to mixed house for a barbecue. This is like he's only getting the very best for his son. And I just love God, this father, this figure of God, he's not looking at the sins. He's gone way beyond that. The heart was in the sorry state. The forgiveness flowed and the love was poured out. He went there for some food that was spare, but he got God's grace that was spare for him. That's what he got. It was poured out. It's like laid out for him. I can remember on my honeymoon in Fiji, meeting up with a kid who was like my best friend when I was a little boy. And he, uh, his had family had moved to Sydney. His father was a rugby union player. And then they had moved back. And I had gone like, you know, kind of 12 years without any contact. Uh, longer than that, maybe 14 years without any contact with my friend. And then I find myself in Fiji and uh, it was just after there'd been a, a coup in Fiji and y- you knew families were struggling and it was hard to get work. And, and when my friend was reconnected with me, he invited me back to his village and they prepared an absolute feast for Natalie and I. And I knew from the bottom of my heart that this, was, this, was, this wasn't just going to the freezer and getting out the good meat. This was like you know, possibly months of his wage. He could only get a few hours work a day, but his family poured this lavish meal on us. We felt their love. And I just love that God was doing that for the lost son. He was doing that. This is good news. And this is good news if you're here today and you haven't turned to God before or you've been lost and you want to come back. Before we end the service here today, I'll give you that opportunity. And that is good news because there is a loving Father in heaven who will accept you just the way you are. But we're just going to quickly go to the second part of the story because this is important too because it doesn't end there. If Jesus was, that's all he wanted to get across, he would have ended the story, but it goes on. And we go on to read this. Now, his oldest son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But we read this of the older son. We don't read, and he also celebrated. And he let out a cheer, we read, but he was angry and he refused to go in. So here we have the older son who had never left the home, had stayed close to the father and most likely stayed within the rules. But here we have a moment in the story where really there had been some things going on in his heart because all of a sudden some things get illuminated really clearly as he simply says, as he simply refuses to go in, that he shows that he is angry. It's in this moment we really see what's going on on the inside. And he was in the father's house. And I read a story like this, this parable, and I think, man, for me in my life, I've got to just 
keep being aware where I'm at because I'm in the Father's house quite a lot. I'm in church all the time, but I'm kind of, for us who make church regular, we're like the older brother in terms of we're in the Father's house and we're doing a lot of great things, but we've just got to make sure that internally <laughs> we're doing well and then internally there's we're dealing with stuff and we're not kind of ready to one day have a situation where it all comes out. As I'm preaching here this morning, you'll notice that there's a mark on my forehead. I know some of you are thinking, did he go fishing with Mick and Mick just did like a wayward cast and the then the sinker hit me in the head? No, he didn't. Did I give Natalie a golf lesson and she just swung a little bit early? No, she didn't. But there is a mark on my head and uh, it's all okay, I'm okay. But it's, uh, what I'm actually doing is I've got a, a, a sun cancer on there. It's not a bad one. They're called basal cell carcinomas. And uh, when you have skin like me, I deal with them all the time. But to kind of get this thing, they're not really that viewable, particularly early on to the naked eye. So I'm always at a skin specialist and he's got this like big magnifying glass with this big like fluorescent thing. Anyone been? I know everyone here's got the most delightful skin except for me. And, uh, and he kind of detects when these things are there and then he puts you on a course of one of the ways to get rid of it is this cream. And as you put the cream on, uh, obviously it becomes very evident to all about the mark that was there under the skin. And in this story, we see that something occurs where something under the skin inside the older brother is illuminated and comes out. And really, he just doesn't join in with the same heart as the father for his younger brother. And he starts casting his own vote of actual disagreement with the father's actions. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who, you have dev- who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He's got no respect in this moment for his father. He kind of turns on the rulings of his father. He turns against how the father decided to deal with the son. He's furious in this. I don't know if he's thinking about the inheritance that if the father's accepted him, it probably means that it's cut down again when he finally gets his portion. I don't know if he's thinking this means this son's back in the family, although he's brought shame. Uh, I don't know what he's all thinking, but I do know by the words and the actions that it's really clear that there's some things that that weren't quite right, that he goes to these areas of kind of self-righteousness within himself and he just doesn't trust the father's core and he finds himself in a worse situation in that moment than the son who's obviously lived a wayward life, but he's come back humble. He's come back asking for forgiveness. He's come back into a good place, but here's the older son. And he's not in that place. It's like he starts to play God, playing the judge, making the cause about how the father has done this, but he should have done that. And I don't know, but I think it's important in our life that we just keep positioning ourselves in such a good position because things happen in life. And before we know it, we can start sometimes making the cause to God, can't we? If we're honest with ourselves, why are they getting blessed and not me? How come they got elevated and not me? Why does this happen for them and 
what about all of a sudden we start kind of telling God how it should happen or what we think should happen or, or how it should happen. And we start not trusting God and His divinity and, and how He is. And, and we've got to make sure that we do our absolute best to not find ourselves in those positions and to not have unforgiveness because it's very clear here that the father had forgiven but the brother had not forgiven that's not those words and actions aren't out of a forgiving brother they're far from that and he finds himself in that reminds me in Matthew 18 about the uh the parable of the unforgiving servant where the king's got these servants and he's like everyone pay me back and then one of the servants can't and he's like, okay, you're going to be punished. And he pleads with him. He pleads with him. And then eventually the king says, okay, you're forgiven. And then in the parable it says that that servant finds someone else who owned him money. And he goes and rings them by the neck and demands the payment. He was forgiven, yet he couldn't let the forgiveness flow into others. And God's forgiven us. And we've got to make sure we're always forgiving. They were always in a place of that pure heart and letting go and forgiving and accepting. And let's make sure that we ourselves are doing that and not being offended like this boy was, but just letting the love flow, not being judgmental. Because we've got to remember who's listening to the story. We've got the tax collectors and the sinners drawing near and we've got the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the ones with a bit of a grudge. They're the ones that probably in that moment needed to start to look on the inside of them to see. And verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. But we never hear what the older brother did. It's like Jesus says the parable and he lets it linger for those ears of the Pharisees and scribes to maybe consider what did the older brother do? We don't know. The parable doesn't tell us. But I think it's a good moment if we kind of fit the category of those in the house just to always be thinking, what can we learn? Where is our heart? Where, what would our response be? Because I think it's clear that we needed to have a response where we should have followed the Father. We should have followed how the Father embraced, followed how the, bra- the Father had love, how the Father would celebrate. And if we can do that, that's when our heart's in a good place. That's when we know our heart's in a good place. And I tell you what, it is so easy to have our hearts just damaged and have things creep in because it just happens so easily. We are humans and things happen. And we've got to get really good at just recognizing, coming before a heavenly God in heaven and saying, God, help me with this. I feel some jealousy in there. I feel there's a bit of my own self-righteousness. I feel there's some unforgiveness. I feel there's whatever it is that we just can start to feel to creep in Let's bring it before God and say, God, I don't want that in there. I don't want that in there going over the Christmas. I don't want to carry that in to 2018. I want to be all that I can be in you because in Him we are magnificent and we can be used in mighty ways. But it's when we start doing uh, our own way and we're not following 
the guiding ways of the Lord that we find ourselves in trouble. The younger son ended up being quite complete, but the older one wasn't. And I think we've just got to make sure that we just look at this, a story of an immoral outsider, but a moral insider. An immoral outsider who gets things right with God, the Father, but the moral insider who still doesn't seem to quite work it out in the story. And I'll ask the band to come right now. So this Christmas season, even on this day, let's prepare ourselves to make sure our heart's ready, ready to go forward. God will use you more than anything when that heart's in a good place. And maybe there's some things you're holding here today that you can just go, today I deal with it. Today I release. Today I work this thing out. Before maybe something happens, before maybe it kind of gets exposed or it just kind of gets momentum and gets out of control. Because God doesn't want that for any of us, to have some things that we're wrestling with and we never deal with them properly and they just they just snowball and get out of control. Let's just examine the state of our heart here this morning and see.